What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Spitfire Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Lemonian, the Spitfire Coach, here to spit some fire. And uh, today, we are taking a, a slight deviation from our, my normal extroverted self. We are diving into the land of introversion with Alan Heyman from Peaceful Direction. He is a fellow coach. He is on this journey of exploration, bringing themes together, helping people thrive in this extroverted world of corporate, of nonprofit, whatever land his clients are in, he is helping those introverted preferences really emerge as the powerful leaders that they want to be. So we are talking about preferences. We're talking about introversion, what it is, what it isn't, misconceptions, how to navigate it. And did I did I cover everything we're going to talk about, Alan? I hope so. If not, I think we'll, we'll find it along the way. And uh, just to know that introverts can spit fire too. I, I'm well aware I have a lot of uh, introverted spitfires in my life. And funny enough, I am actually on, on the cusp. I had my MBTI. I'm certified in that. So I am one of those people that plays in introverted and, and extroverted spaces. Yeah. Well, it's, so don't, it's, don't let the host uh, presence fool you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk, I think, about presence and persona along the way today. Awesome. Well, let's just dive in. So how do you define introversion or being an introvert? Sure. And, and you know, those of us who, who are familiar with MBTI or some of the other assessments, we know this in a professional setting. For me, it has to do with how you draw your energy. And I think that's an important distinction because you might see somebody and say, well, this is an accomplished public speaker. This is a person who loves to talk to others and is an engaging conversationalist. All of those people can be introverts. Introverts draw their energy from within. Extroverts draw their energy from other people. So the distinction is you might see both people acting exactly the same in a very high profile situation, but what happens before and after can be different. So the extrovert is going to do that speaking engagement and have, you know, 50 people come up to her afterwards and have copies of the book signed and conversations and business cards exchanged. An introvert might be more tempted to flee the scene after giving the presentation, even if it's amazing, even if there's a standing ovation afterwards, because we need to recharge. We need time to ourselves. We need solitude. We need quiet. And I think one of the other things that distinguishes introverts is tolerance for, for noise and kind of busy environments. So we are not the best necessarily at doing these, these massive networking events full of strangers where we walk from person to person and strike up conversations. Uh, but we can be accomplished and effective leaders, public speakers, presenters, uh, and, and even uh, folks uh, in media, which is how I started my career. Awesome. So it's not to say that introverts can't do these things, but that it requires more before and more after or difference, different approaches before and after. I agree. And I also think that it's, it's, it's common that introverts will enjoy attention, will enjoy spotlight, will enjoy having followers if they're a leader. Uh, we have had presidents who have been introverts. We have had CEOs who have been introverts. And they bring a different perspective and a different set of skills and a different way of interacting with the world that I think can be especially compelling in a leadership context, which is why uh, I was very pleased to work with a number of, of introverted leaders during my career. And also I coach them a lot these days. Mm. So who would you say is kind of the surprising introvert that we would know either as a president or a celebrity or someone? Well, I, I'm not sure it's too much of a surprise uh, because there, there's only so much kind of privacy and, and, and internal uh, you know, attributes you can hold for yourself as a president. Uh, but it's been fairly widely discussed that President Obama was introverted uh, and you know, very, very 
accomplished public speaker, one of the best of our lifetimes, brought you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people along into the fold as followers. And you saw these, these massive events during his campaigns. Uh, and, you know, this is a person who liked to have a little solitude, was was thoughtful, was up at three o'clock in the morning with the legal pad, scribbling out thoughts for the next day uh, and didn't have that gregarious kind of cocktail party networking type feel that a lot of people you might think of as typical Washington politicians might. Uh, so, you know, in study of history, you think about what made him and, and Vice President Biden at the time such a compelling match for each other is they, they balanced each other out in that way. For Biden, it was, you know, the relationships with people on the Hill. It was, uh, you know, just the sort of the common touch and wanting to be around people a lot, uh, where, you know, Obama, despite being extremely uh, public and, and interacting with people all the time, was a bit more reserved in his, in his nature. Mm. So the balancing out. So it's, it's understanding the awareness of your preference. So if, I, if I'm more leaning on, on an introverted preference, and I use that because I don't like to put the label on people because we have ways that we can navigate and strategies and we can get into that. But understanding, you know, where is my strength and where do I need support outside of that? So in that case, if you are at a cocktail party and you are leaning very strongly in an introverted way, what would you suggest a strategy of partnering or or something along those lines, like pulling pull an Obama? What would that look like? Well, so recognize that we always have choices. And, you know, choice number one, the most obvious would be you don't have to do the cocktail party. So mm -hmm. if you're just not drawn to that sort of thing, and it is not your best way of making a name for yourself, building a reputation, building a business, and you have other ways to do it, do that instead. Um, I also think there is a little bit of value in putting yourself in uncomfortable situations from time to time so you can grow and you can experience the world as others experience it. So that's an option. Uh, and a third option, which is the one that I have done back, you know, in the before times when we would go out and see each other in public, is I would go with somebody I knew, somebody who's perhaps a fellow introvert. So you have conversational buffer. So you have someone can help introduce you to other people. So you have a retreat when it gets to be just too much and too loud and too many people that doesn't consist of you hiding in the coat room or going home early. Awesome. So no hiding, no, no, uh, just running away, but working it until it doesn't work for you. Absolutely. And, and so I think one of the great privileges we have as leaders is the ability to assemble our own teams and to play to each other's strengths and, and areas that are not strengths. And so if you are the introverted CEO, perhaps you balance your executive team out with some extroverts so that you have you know, combinations of energy that complement each other, whether that's your marketing and sales person, or you, know, you have an extroverted litigator as your general counsel or something along those lines, uh, you can find yourself very hooked in on the things that you're good at doing and the things that you like to do and the things that will move the mission of your organization forward and leave those other things to other people. So I have heard plenty of interviews on other excellent podcasts with leaders and founders of companies who are introverted or perhaps suffer from social anxiety or perhaps both. And they've learned to leave certain aspects of what you might traditionally think of as a CEO or founder role to others who enjoy it, who prefer it, who do it better. Mm. So what would you say to, to someone who isn't necessarily in a position of power? They're, they don't have the CEO title. They're not the VP. They're not the manager. And they are surrounded in a sea of very high level extroverts and they are introverted. 
how do they get heard? It, it is tough sometimes. And it is tough sometimes when you add on to the introversion uh, certain other inherent aspects of our identity uh, that maybe are less common in the environment than you're in. And, you know, it could be race, it could be gender, it could be age, it could be education level, it could be stature. Uh, so I think one bright spot is in a world of everything being virtual, when we are on Zoom, everybody is the same size physically. So you don't have to work hard to command attention <laughs> when you walk into a room if you're a physically small person in a sea of large people. It is easier for quieter people to be heard because our electronics pick up our voices and we don't have to speak up as much. And to limit the amount of kind of crosstalk and intersections, sometimes somebody who's moderating a meeting in a skillful way calls on folks who want to speak. And all of these things can be an advantage to somebody who's an introvert or less visible. In a physical environment, what I think you have to do is find your allies. You may find that you're not the only one, but there are people who are perhaps coming across as extroverted, but you know, different from what they feel and experience inside. Uh, and, and get the attention of leadership if you can, if, you, if you're fortunate to be working for somebody who's invested in your growth and invested in you as a human being, you can explain what we now know about the science of introversion and what is required and have somebody looking out for you and kind of calling on you. Because the most gifted extroverted leaders understand that not everybody is the way they are. And they will look for the quietest voices in the room because when those people speak, they often really have something to say. The risk you will never run with an introvert in the room is that they're blowing their own horn. They're speaking just to be heard. And we have all worked with so many people who do this and it hijacks meetings, it consumes extra oxygen, it takes people's time. Introverts don't do this. And when they have something to say, they really do have something to say. So it's incumbent on all the leaders across the introvert extrovert spectrum to, to make sure that they're heard. Definitely. I, that's why I really cherish the, the introverts in my life because we have the best, the most interesting, the deepest conversations uh, versus just kind of the surface level chatter, you know, speaking to be heard opinion throwing. Yeah. And also I will say this, uh, having coached a number of people who are in the type of environment that you just described in your previous question, I think it also requires pushing the envelope of the introvert comfort zone. Mm. So if I described the person just a minute ago, who's the blowhard, who's the you know self-congratulator, the person who takes up all the space in every meeting, despite not having anything to say, you know, if that person is maybe like an 11 or 12 on the 10 point scale of self-expression, and the introvert's natural resting state is two, three, four. What I like to coach people through is getting into that six or seven range so that they can be heard, they can be effective, they can get the point across. And when they start doing it, it's gonna feel like they've dialed themselves up to a 10. They're gonna feel like they're screaming. They're gonna feel like this is really uncomfortable. So developing that level of comfort, but dialing it up just enough so that other people notice and they get heard, that's the name of the game. You're never gonna get to a point where people suddenly feel like you are just talking all the time just to hear your own voice, even though you might feel like that's actually what you're doing. Yeah, I love that idea of the of the gradual approach because I think when we feel like something isn't working for us, we're, we're like, well, I gotta just stop this and start that and I'm gonna just go in this opposite direction and it feels really scary. But if we can imagine that it's it's a step or two outside of what we've always been doing, while it feels really scary, it's looking back, it's never as hard as it was. As exactly. It, it would be. And it's going to feel a little bit scary, but what we can't do is drive it up to a point where it feels inauthentic. 
Mm-hmm. So as coaches, and you know this, we're never asking people to become someone different from who they already are. So this is not, you know, I'm going to walk into my office and I'm just going to toughen up and I'm going to put on my extrovert costume for the day and just, you know, play this role. To me, I think what we're doing is we're coaching our leaders into putting on their own custom built super suit that fits them like a glove, plays to what they're strong at and makes them stronger. That's, I think, the magic of the work. Yeah, it's almost like an accessory versus like a full on outfit change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so exhausting. Like if you if you've ever done theater, you know how exhausting it can be to be someone else, to to remember your lines, to remember where you're supposed to stand and and to be acting and and absorbing other people's energy. And and I just I always imagine that when I'm working with my clients of like, how tired are you trying to be somebody else? Yeah, you can see it on their faces. Yeah. And especially given that that being someone else has to do with being around other people all the time it's almost like an extra load on the introvert batteries. Yeah. So I'm really curious because obviously this past year, things have changed big time. We're, we're in a hybrid or remote workplace. We've had a lot more awareness of the racial, the social inequities that have happened, um, the voices that haven't been heard that we need to be listening to, kind of this, this no can doosville for the arrogant self-professed like bully in the boardroom. And so I'm wondering what you predict in the next, let's say five or 10 years, the workplace is going to look like sound like with the presence of, of more introverts coming up. I, I hope that is the way of the future. It, it, it strikes me that it, it likely is given what we are seeing in trends and seeing in leaders who are developing and just awareness of different styles and that there isn't a one size fits all approach to leadership anymore, which is, which is great. It's more of what we need. We need that multiplicity. Um, as to what sort of an impact it's going to have, I, I look forward and I look backwards. So I look at, you know, if, if you have, um, you know, your, your introvert CEO looking back at the chain of up and coming leaders, what does that, you know, what does that enable? Uh, what what sort of folks are we encouraging to join the ranks of leadership and what are the strengths that we need them to call forward? What is possible as a result of, of that sort of growth and, and rising to the top? And I think we're going to see some pretty amazing things. I think, um, you know, uh, being the person who is not always tempted to speak first has a tremendous amount of advantages as, as a leader. And I think uh, encouraging people to share perspectives and being a good listener has a tremendous amount of advantages as a leader. And I think, uh, you know, encouraging people to speak authentically as their full human selves at work has a tremendous amount of advantages as a leader. And these things have not been part of the leadership conversation for very long. So I'm encouraged that they are, and I hope they stay that way, you know, whenever it is that, that folks start to return to their offices. So if you had a magic wand in the, in the leadership, corporate, nonprofit world, and you could resolve one thing, you could remove it, you could, you could fix it, and it can't be the pandemic, what would it be? Wow. So I think what I would be doing with that magic wand is essentially putting all of us out of business as leadership coaches. <laughs> you know? What would you do if you weren't a leadership coach? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I would have made so much money from the licensing of my magic wand that it wouldn't matter. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But it's like, you know, get people to rise into their own power, I think, is, is the name of what we do. It's the name of what I do with my clients. It's getting them to realize 
everything that is in their potential that they can live up to that's already inside. And so for me in particular, and with the type of clients that I've been getting of late, um, it, it has to do with that sort of stepping forward. It has to do with uh, being the one who is occasionally okay with claiming credit, with self-promotion, with being the person in front and being the person visibly in charge, not for completely selfish purposes, not for self-aggrandizement, not for extra money and power and fame and glory, but more because of the entire context that we're responsible for, which means bringing forward the work of our teams and the work of our organizations and the work of our fellow introverts and women and people of color and disadvantaged groups throughout time. I think that's what it's all about. So getting people to realize they should do it, they should step into it, and it's not just all about them and for themselves, that's the magic wand. Mm. So it almost sounds like getting rid of of the the self-protection, the need to self-protect. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, like it, it, it's a limiting factor. It has helped us so much as a species up until modern times. We're not outrunning the mastodons anymore. It's not as necessary to avoid becoming prey, but it sure feels like it at work sometimes. Yeah. Well, it, it, I always think about like, who does this serve by keeping this mindset? It doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve the people I care about. So who's really benefiting from this? And yeah. I think we are now waking up to the bigger system at play of who's benefiting and, and why do they want to maintain this? Right, right. And I, I think that's a fair point to raise because one thing that I'm constantly on the lookout for is who is my work serving as a coach and to whose benefit? So if all I do, you know, from sunup to sundown is simply work to help people preserve the existing power structures, I've failed. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask yourself that question as a coach all the time based on, you know, the type of work you're taking on, where your clients are coming from, how much you're charging, what you have access to. I think all of that relates. And I say all that to say, I don't have answers on this. I'm constantly seeking on it because I see, I see the danger of pushing too far in one direction. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't quite come upon the great recipe for, for correcting that just yet. Yeah. And I think, I think it is a recipe that's changing and evolving based on, on the taste buds. Yeah. Yeah. For but sure. there's, there is such a need. And I, I was, I sit with this too, because, you know, we, we work with people who can afford it and, yeah. but there's also such a need to help people who, you know, can't afford it, who don't even know about it, but would really benefit from it. Um, so I think there, there is a big opportunity of how do we as individuals get our bills paid, get our needs met, uh, and also take care of this other population, these multiple populations that could really benefit and come up at rapid succession. Yes, yes. So it means different groups of people, it means different environments, and it means different levels of leadership because you're going to have a different impact on somebody's life if you come into them as a coach, as an emerging leader, as opposed to a CEO who's been with the same company for 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for, for what we know how to do. And the, in fact, like this is the prime time for, for coaching skills, not just like being a coach, but really teaching people coaching skills in areas of leadership, whether they have a title or not. Totally agree. And I think what we've discovered along the way uh, is that building some of that coaching playbook into your leadership is so necessary now more than ever, rather than that top-down directive, almost kind of militaristic micromanaging style uh, that has been 
the prototypical model of leadership for, for a long, long time, way too long. Yeah. So what is your favorite coaching skill to teach leaders? Listening, bar none. Uh, you know, I, I think the biggest pitfall a leader can run into on any given day has to do with talking more than they listen, has to do with thinking they have more answers than they have questions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as the leader of a team, your job is not to have that specific expertise anymore. Your job is not to solve the problem yourself, but to hire and surround yourself with people who are smarter than you are, who can get at the solution. And your job is to facilitate that, to move obstacles, to give direction and get out of the way. Mm. So that curiosity is a key ingredient that I try to nurture in all of my clients. They all have it to some extent, but its absence can be toxic. And I have seen that far too many times in my own career. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is a journey. And I think, you know, I, I look at the bookshelves behind people when, when I talk to them, I'm not looking at yours cause I can't read that. But when I talk to clients and I look at all the books that I know they've read and, and I think, Hmm, what did you take away from that? Because what I see is they read it, but they don't really apply it or absorb it as their own. They don't translate it into their own style. And I see this with self-help books. I see this with leadership books where you take someone's experience and you think I need to do these things in this succession in order to have the outcome that this person deems correct. So if you think of the elements of that leadership playbook that people should be focusing on, should be reflecting, should be working with a coach or mentor or sponsor, what do you see those areas as being? It's such a good question. And I was thinking as you were talking about all of the biographies and all of the podcasts about the successful entrepreneurs and leaders and their backgrounds and how they got there and how awesome that is that we have those examples to be able to learn from and how we don't see the biographies and the podcasts about the failures, mm-hmm. you know, about the ones who don't make it, about the ones who had the great idea, but not the right connections or combination of circumstances or unearned privilege or any of that. We don't see those stories. Those stories belong elsewhere, I suppose. So for me, I, I think it's, it's, it's the curiosity, the flexibility, and, and what you would call the growth mindset that are, are the necessary examples. So it's not a particular path, like you just said. It's not, you know, I'm going to sell you this amazing leadership book, and you're going to follow my five steps, and you're going to make a million dollars, and you're going to retire at 30, and whatever. We've all seen those books. Mm-hmm. What happens, I think, is that people learn, they make mistakes, they grow from them, they change directions. And that changing of direction does something. It tells them that they're going to get it better next time. It tells them that this is not an area they should focus on because it just blew up in their face and they need to be doing something else instead. So following those experiences and those learnings and those growth opportunities makes the strong leader, makes the effective leader. And I think that's the common theme in all of those biographies and different things that we've you know, seen. Nobody had an easy path. Nobody had you know, the, the, the typically linear experience of getting from point A to that you know, uh, selling the company for hundreds of millions of dollars kind of moment, because if they did, it wouldn't be an interesting story. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's we we have the expectation that it should be linear, that it should be easy because look at other people. But we would be bored if it were easy. We wouldn't respect it. We wouldn't appreciate it if it just was delivered on a silver platter. 
For sure. And, and, and so I'm also fascinated by this because you know that as coaches, we are the target for a great many marketing efforts. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the amount of time I spend on LinkedIn deleting the pitches from oh. folks who want to, you know, 5X my client base or sell me the leads or, or the marketing strategy that's going to really hit up. We don't need any of that stuff. No. And I'm sure it's successful because otherwise folks wouldn't be trying to sell it to me every other minute. Uh, but the growth journey is so personal for every single one of us. It, it's, it's totally different. And I don't think there's a one size fits all. I think there are principles that we can take from approach to approach that are very useful. Uh, and these are things that I try to you know, leave with clients if they, if they bring me an issue um, related. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no magic bullet here. There are, there are many ways to make money uh, suggesting that there is. Mm -hmm. There's no magic bullet. There's no magic wand. Next, you're going to tell me there's no such thing as unicorns. <laughs> well, maybe my 11-year-old daughter would think otherwise. But yes. uh, Keep the hope alive. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you had to give one nugget of advice, one thing for the introverts listening out there to take with them, what would you say? I would say you're not alone. I would say, you know, we are living among us and sometimes it's almost impossible to tell who's an introvert and who's not. Uh, and that it is no longer something to be thought of as an obstacle, a hindrance or any kind of a weakness. It can be a superpower. It can be the thing that compels you to put the best stamp on the world that you possibly can. And I think mm -hmm. to do that requires knowing just a little bit more about what introversion is and knowing a little bit more about yourself and how it applies, but that's totally doable. And I have seen it work time and time again with so many successful people, many of whom are household names at this point. Awesome. So if people want to learn more about introversion, learn more about what you do and Peaceful Direction, where should they go? So you can visit PeacefulDirection.com. That's my website. I'm on LinkedIn at Alan Heyman and same as for Twitter as well. Awesome. Alan, thank you so much for spending some time, dropping some knowledge about introversion. I'm like, I, I got to go recruit my, my, my friends in and just dive deep. So this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Lauren. What a pleasure this has been. Let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. And for all the spitfires out there, whether you're introverted, extroverted, or ambiverts, you guys keep being awesome. <laughs>